This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. Anytime we do corporate training, we look at what does it look like to have the one thing spread throughout an organization and become part of the culture. The answer is different depending if you're working with IT versus engineers versus your marketing team, your operations team, finance. And there's always one group that is just a slam dunk that makes a lot of sense. Salespeople. When salespeople truly become productive, when they are clear on their priorities, they form habits around the activities that drive the greatest results, they get clear about what they're saying yes to and learn how to say no to all the things that distract them, it drives the overall revenue of the business and makes everything else easier or unnecessary. What does it really look like though to live the one thing as a salesperson? That's the purpose of this episode today. You are going to hear from somebody who is a sales guy. He's specifically in tech sales where, you know, he worked hard, had great work ethic, had good results, and then was introduced to the one thing. Suddenly, he became very clear that everything didn't matter equally, including his customers. He got clear on the ones that mattered most and started to form models and systems so that he focused his time on the accounts that mattered most first. And ultimately, it put him at the top of the stack ranks. We're going to dive into specifically what that looked like. And now for those of you who are in a sales capacity or a biz dev capacity, can begin to live the one thing in that area. As you go through this, you will hear him consistently reference the 411, which is a tool that we use to get clarity on our priorities. If you would like to download the 411, go to theonething.com slash training. That's with the number one in the URL, the one thing.com slash training. Under the basics course section, you will see a quick tutorial on the 411. You can download the template and get that video for free. If you would like some more robust training around it, under the foundations course section, you will see one of our flagship courses called Get Results with Your 411. This holds your hand as you fill out your 411 and also shows you how to roll it out with your team. This is the backbone of what we train when we go inside of corporations and make it part of their culture. The cool thing is when you get access to that course, if you become a member of the Living Your One Thing community, which is one of the options when you go there, you'll also be automatically able to join us as we kick off the new year with an exclusive members-only 66-day challenge. You'll join over a thousand people as we lock arms on one thing and make it a power habit within the first 66 days of the year. All of that happens by going to the onething.com. You can check out the get results with your 411 training under the foundations courses or at the very top, you can just click that red button that says join the community and learn more. With that, let's get into this episode with Jonathan Farber. How did you come across the one thing? It was actually recommended by a friend of mine that's gotten into coaching. He came across the book. He said it had a huge impact on him. And what it really helped him do is prioritize and kind of clear through some of the clutter. We were both getting a lot busier. And um, he just said it was a must read. We both read a lot of books. There's a bunch that kind of go over our heads or slip through the cracks, may not resonate. But what he described the one thing as was something that puts thoughts, puts words to the thoughts that we have a lot. So got into it and just fell in love with the concept. 
Yeah. Well, I'll call him out. Jordan Ross, you're the man for for turning Jonathan on onto this. So thank you very much, my friend. <laughs> I, I'm curious. You said both of you read a lot of books, yet this one really stood out. Why? You know, there are some books, like I, like I mentioned, that really put words to thoughts. And I think a lot of books have the potential to do that, but they're overcomplicated. The thing about the one thing it's in the title, Surprisingly Simple Truth, is that it was one of those concepts that jumped out to me as hiding in plain sight. It was something that was right there. It wasn't overcomplicated. It was broken into a couple simple steps that if you could just get your arms around and focus on small things, you didn't have to try to reinvent something that you know wasn't done before. So it was the simplicity of it that really hit me that you didn't need to do all these extra steps or activities. It was just thinking about what actually mattered and planning with the the end goal in mind and backing into it. That was so impactful to me when we started doing that. Love it. Love it. Give us a sense of professionally what your life looks like. Yeah. So day-to-day, work in an enterprise technology company, uh, work in New York City. There's a lot of clutter. There's a lot of activities we could be doing. I cover about 100 accounts. I have an inside team that supports that. But there are a lot of activities and accounts that um, get attention for different reasons and um, were goals on a revenue number. So there's a lot of ways to be busy, but there's also a few ways that you can be more productive. So we're all gold on a number. We work on a team goal, but we collectively strategize of how to grow accounts, how to open accounts, how to work with affiliate partners, and uh, spread the technology that we sell and that we work with. Classic tech sales job. Yes. Perfect. Give us a sense because you know, anytime we're inside of companies, sales is always one of those divisions that this makes so much sense to to drive as part of the culture. Because for reps, you know, the, their life can be a bit chaotic, even though it seems pretty clear. Go sell, go lead generate. What did your day-to-day activities and results look like prior to the one thing? From start of day to end of the day, just reacting, doing activities that I would sometimes feel great about, feel really busy, feel really pulled from meeting to meeting, just have five or six meetings in a row. Didn't know why I was having them. Didn't have clarity on why I was having them, but thought I was just going to have enough activity that it would lead to results. That was only sustainable for a certain period of time. And it did lead to results. Uh, Jeff, I'll say that doing that, I think, and I see it in my organization too, is a better alternative than people that I, I don't think do a lot of activity at all. Because you know, for me, some of my favorite concepts are just around action and doing things. But through that process of taking more and more action and then reflecting on it, led me to the, the refinement of the action, figuring out what activities are leading to actual productivity and they're not just busy activities. So from the standpoint of when the change took place, it went from doing a lot to doing a few things, but really just hunkering down on them. And it, it kind of cleared a lot of that mental cloud, that mental fog that I'd get to the end of the day and feel like I did a ton, but the scoreboard didn't necessarily correlate with that. And there would just be inconsistent results. There'd be some amazing months, there'd be some non. And it was tough to make the distinction of why that was happening. So I'm, I'm having flashbacks to my sales career when I sold copiers and then medical devices. 
I remember I woke up, I looked at my digital calendar, and basically followed that. So if I had an appointment with an account, I had that appointment. And what I did before that, you know, I opened the email and I went through the email. And if there was a customer fire, I jumped on it because I thought, oh, I got to provide great customer service. And then I'm going, okay, I got some time to, to kill. So let me call a few people. And the day was essentially reacting to emails and fires, making calls in between meetings and hoping mm-hmm. that I would hit President's Club. Hoping that I would mm-hmm. hit my number and make the kind of commission I wanted to make. It wasn't methodical though. Yeah. And uh, what started happening was about the same time that I got into a corporate selling was about the same time I started investing in real estate. It, it became more and more clear that something needed to change and it couldn't just be about doing more activity. It needed to be about how the activity was planned and which tasks were going to be done. Uh, that became more and more apparent because at the same time as, as getting into the corporate selling and the technology, I was investing in real estate on the side at the same time. And those activities started to become more top of mind or I needed to get more creative with the time that I was spending outside of the office that if I was coming home or working on the weekends that I made sure I was, I was squeezing those hours and making sure that they were actually leading to results. And a lot of that came through goal setting and, and kind of modeling other people just through other sites and forums, bigger pockets being one of them, of just following blueprints, but then understanding how can I get the most out of that time? And then mm. what's the plan and the end goal to back into it to get the actual outcome? So what, I, what I'm hearing you say, Jonathan, is you, prior to the one thing, you were really entrepreneurial. You took lots of action based on your natural ability and it got you results. And when you started to get into real estate investing, you realized that because you suddenly had more on your plate, you were having a ceiling over your achievement. There was a ceiling over what you could actually accomplish. Mm-hmm. Then you started looking for a more purposeful approach based on models and systems that if you could follow them to really get clarity on activities that would drive results, that ceiling would be raised. Is that what I'm hearing? 100%. So let's fast forward. Um, you did start living the one thing. How did you end up uh, ranking in terms of all the reps in your company? Yeah, so to, to the point you, you made earlier is that yeah, that it did lead to results, um, but it wasn't sustainable, right? So the results and and achieving quota was was something that was nice. It was happening year after year, but it wasn't tactical. It wasn't sustainable. So when I really drilled into the techniques methodology of one thing last year. And started doing a 411, started working with an accountability group, started actually outlining what activities are yielding the results. It changed, it changed everything from the real estate side of things to the, to the uh, technical side of things, the, the actual selling side of things. So last year was the first year. Yeah, I was able to go to club, which was awesome. Was able to finish as in the commercial space in our company, the number one rep, just based on uh, attainment. And it came through just focusing on larger accounts, realizing that larger accounts and larger partners took about the same time and energy as working on the smaller ones. And it really hit me one day when I was thinking, if I just focus on these five accounts and we generate business with these five accounts, that would surpass the 40 transactions and the 40 accounts right underneath it. So why would I be focusing on those accounts? And that's when things changed. What I'm hearing you say is you realized 
every account does not matter equally. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the number one live productivity, people. I mean, it's, it's, it's the 80-20 rule showing up all over the place. And I think I've experienced it myself and I've seen it where a lot of salespeople, they see all the accounts that they have. They run feeling like they have to touch all of them. If an account shows interest in doing a deal, they just say yes and run and try to close the deal without taking a step back and actually asking, how much effort and time is it going to take? What's the ROI on that? And is that low-hanging fruit actually a distraction? I'm hearing you say, Jonathan, you realize like you could spend... The amount of time it takes to close a deal is the same, whether it is a mega deal or whether it's an itty-bitty-bitty deal. And you just started saying no to the itty-bitties. Yeah, it became apparently clear even to the point where I started sorting the opportunities in a bucket in my email just based on deals over a certain threshold. There were going to be 5 to 7 of those deals that were in my deals over X size folder that I knew yielded X amount of hours of attention per day. And then the folder was just dollar amount underneath that that I would only get to after I went through each of those deals in a big deal bucket. right? With the idea that if those were getting the attention, I could earn the right to get to the smaller deals. But what I also started finding was I wasn't getting around to the smaller deals as it was. So in that process, I just started delegating them to other reps in the company, which I don't think anyone was really doing, but there was no... No one's saying we couldn't do it. I would just call a rep up and say, Hey, this deal needs X hours of operation, it needs quotes, it needs this. Do you want to make 30% on it? It's pretty much baked. It just needs to get presented. And then right there, it was off my plate. So I go back to focusing on the big deal and the deals that actually needed my attention. Did people think you were crazy? Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Just thinking how, you know, from there's an expression in sales, you know, all the shavings make a pile, which I do agree with. I don't like leaving anything on the table. I don't think any of us do, right? But I don't think that's what the one thing is. That's at least not how I interpret it. It's just making sure that the bigger things are taken care of first. And then if you can delegate, leverage, or get around to the smaller things, they'll get done. Uh, I don't like forgetting about them. But yeah, there were people that if I said, I can't, I don't have time for this, the 15K quote, I'd say, what do you mean? It's 15K. I'd say, I would need to do 20 of those just to do the one deal that I'm trying to knock out today, right? So it, it, was, it was different at the beginning. Still is. I love that. What are some of the other things you fast forward that you now realize, man, I say no to that and you didn't before? <sighs> yeah, that's one that it was hard. Uh, still is hard and it's still refining. But the main things I'm saying no to now are meetings with no outcome, meeting with no agenda. Something I implemented again, this is an adjustment at the beginning, was 15-minute meetings, 5-minute meetings, instead of the typical 30-minute meeting that could be done in 5. But just because Outlook's default is 30 minutes, that's just what people set the meeting at. But that's just dead time on the calendar, right? So also the other thing, we batch our meetings now. We'll do a weekly call where everyone comes to the table with questions they had instead of the weekly pop-up meetings or you know Slack messages or Teams messages, um, that sort of thing. So you know, and now the other thing with that is delegating some of the smaller opportunities. There are accounts or you know they need attention, but they just they could be managed or run through either our affiliate community or some of our reps that are on the team that are just trying to get experience and it's a win-win. So 
I wouldn't say saying no. It's just those have transitioned into more overseeing instead of um, being as hands-on with and well, picking up or adjusting as it comes. Well, you said something that's that's very wise, actually. You said, well, I wouldn't say it's saying no per se. Folks, most of the time when we're saying no, we're not actually saying no. We're saying yes to something else. We're leveraging it to other people. We're creating systems like your email system. You're not saying no to responding to the smaller size accounts. You're just not saying yes to them first, which inherently means that your time to respond to them is lengthened. And that is okay. It's, it's, it's actually less about saying no to everything and just being really clear about what you're going to say yes to first. And, and Jeff, one other thing on that just came to mind hearing you say that was something was a little bit unexpected that came of this was, you know, in our roles, sales, there's many facets, right? There's people that are prospecting, there's people that are closing, there's people that are account managing. and our structure has those parts sort of broken out. We have someone that's doing prospecting. We have someone that's managing smaller accounts. And then we have people that are managing larger accounts or you know, field account managers or account executives, right? So part of something that I started saying no to or adjusting was, is the best, what is the best use of my time in the sales role? And a lot of people would say a little bit of everything. But what got... What I started thinking more about was if I have someone that can do the prospecting, or if there's someone whose job it is to do prospecting, they're not gold on revenue closed, then that really might not be on my plate. My best time spent might be actually interacting with people and building relationships. And that was also a change. Again, I don't know if it'd be saying no to something, but more or less just changing the outlook on it. I don't know if the best use of my time in this role or some of the other reps is spent prospecting, making cold calls, right? I think what changed for me in that moment was realizing building relationships and getting in front of customers in person was the one thing I can't delegate, leverage, or outsource. So the other things can be, but those activities, they have an amazing return on time and just they, they lead to bigger outcomes. So taking some of those actual activities that are associated with sales to the, the people who actually just get paid on that was also a change and something I was saying no to that was unexpected when I thought about what are the actual activities that lead to success in this role. And that was something that I just didn't expect. But uh-huh. looking into it and realizing what's the one thing I can be doing, it became more and more clear. So there's actually a really cool case study about this. When Gary Keller stepped back in as CEO of Keller Williams last year, immediately he dove into everything. And Jay uh-huh. asked him at one point, like, why are you getting involved in everything. And he said, because I don't know yet what's truly important and requires my attention and what doesn't yet. He said, once I can make Mm -hmm. that distinguishment, I will immediately leverage all the things that I can. I'm going to immediately leverage all those things that can be done by other people. And the stuff that cannot be leveraged to other people yet... I'm going to do so that I can develop a model and a system around it so that I can leverage myself out. Do you know how mm. long it took him to pretty much leverage himself out of a job? No, how long? About five months. <laughs> About five months. It took right. him to completely get himself back into 
a true CEO position or chairman of the board position. He still has the CEO title, but he's got people who wake up and own each part of the business. And then he just gets to play coach. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty amazing, huh? When you commit to living your one thing, you commit to having clarity on your priorities so you can have a relationship with your goals. The challenge is just because you know what your priorities are, doesn't mean the world stops spinning. One of the biggest challenges our members face is their email. Let's be honest, folks. Your priorities rarely live in your inbox. They live on your 411. Your inbox is simply everyone else's priorities just stacking up. And if you don't have a model and a system for managing your inbox effectively, you end up treating everything like it matters equally. We're excited to share a simple tool with you that will give you back time when it comes to your inbox. That tool is Clean Email. This is a tool that I started using. Once I linked my account, Clean Email showed me that I had 744 active lists that my email was on. No wonder my inbox was crazy. The best part was their system made it so easy for me to unsubscribe from the ones that I didn't want to be on and keep the ones that bring value to me. After I did this, Clean Email helped me organize my inbox into smart views so I could easily see which ones were social notifications or newsletters which ones were all the unread. And I could also create rules so that the most important emails from the most important people quickly showed up. That way, when I'm in between time blocks and I need to quickly triage the inbox, I can respond to the 20% that matters most, then get back to my one thing. If you'd like to take back some of the time that you're currently spending in your inbox so you can invest it in your one thing, visit clean.email slash one. That's clean.email slash O-N-E. Have you heard about Gusto? Gusto's one thing is helping small business owners run payroll and file taxes. Something that for many of us business owners isn't our one thing. And if you're still wearing those hats, you have an awesome opportunity to seek leverage. So many of the old payroll processors out there were not designed for the way that modern businesses operate today. And Gusto is. That's why 90% of customers say that switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of them say running payroll is now easier than it was with their previous provider. And 74% of customers say that it takes them 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. It's because Gusto was built for small businesses from the start. It works with you. Unlimited payrolls, off-cycle payrolls, multiple states, multiple schedules, you name it. Gusto works with you. Everything in one place, all online, so that you can stay organized and take care of your business. And it integrates with your favorite tools to make your life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Xero, Google, and more. Gusto's turning old school payroll on its head and it's getting even better. It's why they won best online payroll for 2018. Listeners of the One Thing podcast can get three free months when they run their first payroll. You can try a demo and see for yourself today at gusto.com slash one. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash O-N-E. Gusto.com slash one. So talk talk to people out there who... There are a lot of people who listen to this show who, whether they are a salesperson, maybe they're a person who's in charge of driving growth or revenue, 
they're hearing this and going, wow, I would love to have way greater results doing way fewer things. Where do they get started? I think what it takes or what it took for me was just drilling into what is the outcome. And if I look back at the year, if I've tracked it, then I should have something measurable. If I haven't, then it might take a little more digging, but it's not always the obvious thing. Another example of that was affiliate partners, right? I heard Jay Abraham. He's a great marketer. You probably know him. Does a lot of stuff on YouTube. Said, you don't necessarily need to go to your customers or your prospects to get the business. If you go to the people that have your prospects or customers and get the business, you could be doing two for one. So that was another area that I was, we started thinking about and developing. We work with a ton of affiliate partners where they have our prospects and customers already. So if we make them our friends, it can trickle down and they'll have the customer or the prospect's ear that we want anyway. That we were thinking, how often does someone actually pick up a cold call and convert to a lead or a meeting? Not that often, but they listen to their trusted advisors. So that was something. If that That's one actionable thing that I found and I talk to salespeople all the time that if you can do some forms of affiliate marketing, right? Let's say you're selling security. Well, if you link up with someone that sells networking, you guys can trade information and help each other get into accounts, right? I think that's a lot more tactical and strategic than someone that, let's say they're a high salary person. I don't know if the best use of their time is picking up the phone and making cold calls, right? I can't remember the last time I, as a salesperson, I picked up the phone, a cold call and actually responded to something, right? So that was a lot more strategic. Planning with the end in mind was also something that made a huge difference, right? I'm looking at my 411 right now and I was thinking, you know, how many times do I need to touch my inside team, my, my cold caller and my inside rep to enable them to be successful? That's the first thing on my list. And that wouldn't have been a year ago because I would have thought it was prospecting. But now it's enabling my people that are doing prospecting. Mm-hmm. The same thing. What's my metric that I need to actually evaluate to convert revenue? This I'm still refining, but for me, it's, it's quality meetings. Right, so if that's the outcome, I'm thinking, okay, then whatever the actions or strategies that I need to take to get that outcome, that is what I think moves the needle the most. However, it comes, and then drilling into the strategies underneath that. So, what I'd probably say is, is really, it all changed for me when I was working back from the end in mind. Right, if it's my long-term goals or if it's what do I want to accomplish, then I think we're all pretty creative and smart. And especially if we have our back against the wall, if we know what we want from the standpoint of this goal, if we then just time block the time or really have those hard conversations with ourselves and think about what actions could lead to this or these actions I'm taking right now are not leading to that goal, what course correction do I need to make? That's when things started to really change and click in in the technology and in the real estate side of the business. Very cool. Very cool. And folks... uh something that you can do really easily because one of the things that Jonathan's basically saying is, look, there's a lot of ways that you can get to your goal. You could you could cold call. You could go build relationships with affiliates. They're, he's listing off all these things. Just go make a success list. And it starts by listing all the things you could do. Grab a piece of paper. Literally list all the ways you could possibly hit your goal. And once you've made the exhaustive list... Look at the first one and ask the question, is this a 20% priority that would generate 80% of my results? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, cool. Just skip to the next one. Is this a 20%er that'll generate 80% of the results? If so, put a star next to it. What you do when you, when you go down the list 
and identify the 20 percenters, you've identified the ones you should do versus all the things you could do. And then you just do that last final step. Put them in order of priority. If you could only do one, what's the one that would make the biggest impact? Put a number one next to it. Should you earn the right to do a second? What would it be? Should you earn the right to do a third? That's all this is. Jonathan, I want to point out one other thing that you've said multiple times that's really important that most people glance over because they haven't lived the one thing. You consistently talked not about the results. You talked about the activities that drive your results. This is huge. Like when we talk about the people in our community who do a 411, one of the biggest pitfalls people have when they create their 411 is they write down all the results they want to accomplish this year, this month, this week. But nobody gets out of a meeting and says, What result am I achieving right now? They ask, What should I be doing? Being able to convert a result into an activity, you can knock the activity down, it puts you on track for getting where you want to go. That has been woven throughout your story. Jeff, it's spot on. There were a lot of times throughout the early part of this process that I was still measuring myself against the outcome or the lag measure instead of the lead measures or the actual strategies or the things that I can control. Right? It's so easy to measure yourself against the things that are far, far out there, far down the road that that are really hard to control. Right? You want to? I wanted to get this much in revenue or do this. I also play golf as a competitive sport. And if I'm trying to, let's say, shoot a score, right? Just having the the scoring average as the goal go from 75 to 72, that's great. But there was no activity or measurable activity behind it. And it became more and more frustrating when I was measuring myself against the non-activity measures. And what I, what I couldn't believe is that just distilling it into a couple simple things, a couple simple activities that I thought would move the needle, even if it meant just that day I did four things, right? It'll do more. But if I just had four activities that I thought were the needle mover activities that I could control and I thought led to bigger outcomes and they were planned and put in order of priority, if I did four things for that day, Jeff, I couldn't believe how much confidence I had and how good I felt knowing that I actually did important things today instead of just totally untangling, instead of total tangled activities that were, were just there. So that was the difference. And it was just things that I could measure and actually get a good feeling of checking a box or seeing days in a row that you'd done activities that you could control and actually lead to that confidence building. It was natural confidence building. It wasn't fake uh, confidence or you know trying to do something that you, you didn't believe. So that was, that was really cool also. I love that. I love that. What we often see inside of companies is it's not like a company just says, I want to make the one thing part of my culture. It's usually an individual who starts living it and then they get some results. It changes their life. They start sharing it with their team and then ultimately it spreads as, as part of the culture. It's very much the same for you. You know, you started using this. You were having conversations about how do we spread this with your leadership. And now you're starting to talk about what this looks like with your team. Walk me through why you want to start doing 411s with your team. It gave me so much clarity that I talked a lot about the concepts with them, but I don't think they understood where I was coming from with it a lot of times. They would hear me talk about 
acting in order of priority or why we should do this instead of this and not be busy and we should be productive. But, and that was effective, right? But until they actually, I think, started reading the book and understanding the concepts and watching some of the videos and listening to your podcast, um, nothing was being tracked, right? Uh, you had also a really cool doc that people could probably go find that was just a lead gen uh, Google sheet, right? And that was awesome just for the reason that they could then start thinking about how many calls do I need to make on average to get a meeting, right? And I wanted them to get that confidence back that if they just had 10 hangups in a row or 10 horrible calls in a row, that they knew just based on the law of averages, it took 15. So great, you got the 10 bad ones out of the way. You got five more to go until on average, you're going to get where you want to be. And it's the same thing I was thinking about real estate deals, how many deals I want to analyze to get a lead, to get a, an offer put out there and an offer accepted, right? Just building that top line funnel and measuring it. So I guess when I, when I talk it through like that and think about it through like that, I think it helps them build confidence to know that these activities are going to move the needle and lead to something instead of just more and more and more every day and not understanding what the outcome is that stems from this. So giving them kind of that, that framework, I think is going to be huge. And that framework has been huge for me. This is something my coach had me do this year when my number one professional priority for the year was around a certain number of hours I had to lead generate for this year to, to make all of our revenue goals happen. And she said, great, we need to track it so that you know, how many calls does it take to get somebody on the phone? How many people do you have to talk to to get an appointment? How many appointments do you have to have to get a deal? And what was interesting is about 3 weeks ago, I analyzed... I know exactly how much revenue has been generated as a result of the hours I put in. I know exactly how many hours I've put in. And I just did a quick math. I took the amount of revenue divided by the number of hours and figured out something that shocked me. My time when I lead generate is worth $2,500 an hour. And that's not, mm. that's not BS. That's not airy-fairy. Literally, $2,500 an hour is what my time is worth when I'm lead generating. And when I, when I realized that, I then looked at my planner and my digital calendar and started saying, is that worth $2,500 an hour? Nope. Bye, Felicia! <laughs> is that worth $2,500 an hour? Nope. Bye, Felicia! It just, and this all stemmed because I had lead gen on my calendar. And one week, I didn't honor my time blocks. And I asked myself the question, why? And it was because... There was something in the moment that was more attractive to me than the monotonous lead generation. That was real interesting. When you think about it like that, why would you do anything else? Well, it's, it's in the book. If doing the most important thing is the most important thing, why would you do anything else? <laughs> uh, well, Jonathan, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for first and foremost being an advocate of living the one thing. Jordan Ross, I know you're listening to this. Thank you for introducing Jonathan to the book. And um, you know, now what's cool is we see people go on this journey. We call it times an acronym. T stands for treading. Most people start by just trying to keep their head above water. They then just discover the one thing because somebody cool introduces them to it. And they start implementing the one thing. Then they move on to a place where they really start to master it. And that's where you, you've been. And you move into that final stage of empowering others to the point where you're starting to have conversations with your leadership about how do we make this part of the culture. You're starting to roll this out to your team. We share this with you who's listening to this because 
quite often we can say, well, I'm not the CEO. I'm not the founder. I'm, I'm not the decision maker. Hodgepodge. All leadership begins with self-leadership. Every company we've been in has started as a result of an individual who lived it themselves. Then they started speaking it and empowering others to live it. You have an immense amount of power. Because when you start living this, you have a real relationship with your goals. Suddenly, you start investing your time rather than just passively spending it with no expectation of a return. And it all starts with you. If you would like to take it to the next level, like Jonathan has done, go to the onething.com slash training. Under the basics courses, you will see a course there on the 411. You can download the 411 template there. If when, when it's in Excel, all the lead gen tab is. I just did another tab in Excel and started tracking my numbers. It's nothing crazy, folks. But I just have it on the same document as my 411. And you'll have a course to walk you through it as well. Depending on when you're listening to this, as we go into the end of the year, we will be kicking off a 66-day challenge January 1st just for our members. So when you're on the page at the very top where you'll see a big red button that says, Join the community, click there and you can learn more about the 66-day challenge we will be launching. You could form an amazing power habit, whether that be around lead generation, whether it be for your health, and you can do it with a community that's actually going to support you along the way. That's all happening at theonething.com slash training. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Jonathan Farber. Folks, the things that stand out to me is first and foremost, the number one lie of productivity, the lie that everything matters equally. When we look at any area of our life, folks, Pareto's principle applies. The majority of what we want comes from the minority of what we do. When we look specifically in a sales capacity at how we're going to hit our number, it's not going to come from focusing on every account. It comes from being clear on the 20% that's going to generate 80% of your results and focusing your effort there first. Not to say you ignore everything else. It's simply that until your one thing is done, everything else is a distraction. How can you get more clear on what your 20% is? How can you get out of results land saying, oh, I'm just going to close this deal. I'm going to decrease my golf score. I'm going to get into better shape. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to eat better. And how do you get the level of clarity to the point that you can say, this is the one thing I'm going to do. The activity that if you knocked that domino down would automatically put you on track for the results you desire. There is a simple tool that helps you with this. It's the 411. It's what Jonathan used to get to the top of his company. It's what he used to get clear on what he should be saying yes to. It's what he is now scaling with his team and his hope is his company adopts this, which is why we're having conversations with them now. You can get started by going to the onething.com slash training. Under the foundations course section, you can check out the get results with your 411 course. And one of the options is that you can get the course at, by becoming a member of our community. That way, every month you get a group coaching call where we support you. You belong to a community of over a thousand people all doing the same thing each week. And starting the year, we're going to be doing a 66 day challenge just with this community so that we can form a power habit that will help 
drive us throughout the year so we consistently do the thing that matters most. It all starts by going to theonething.com slash training. If this episode has brought value to you, please think of one person who needs to hear this. Share it with them. If you are new to The One Thing Podcast, welcome. We have so much more great content coming your way. Click the subscribe button on your device. That way, all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And while you're at it, would you consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice? It means the world to us. We read every single one and it helps us live our purpose of helping people take back control of their time, invest it better so they ultimately can have a relationship with their goals. Thanks so much for listening to The One Thing Podcast. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.